Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you today. I hope you're glad to be here. We are going to talk about the direction of this congregation, the direction of the church. You know, the Lord has called us to serve Him. And He's called us to do certain things in the life that we live. And one of the things He's called us to do is to have a church, have a congregation. Brother Eddie and I are studying with some folks in Dallas right now. And we met with them this week. And I posed the question, if none of us knew anything about Christianity, and we just found a Bible, and we became Christians, and we wanted to set up a church, how would we do that? What would we do? What would we name the church? How would we organize the church? What would we do as a church? What kind of functions would we hold? And we're studying that topic with them. We're going to talk a little bit today about the structure of a church and the way God wants a church, at least we find in the Bible, the way He wants a church to be organized, the way He wants a church to function. Now, several years ago, my wife and I and our little kids came to church over here in Denton. And when we did, Sister Iva's the only one here today who would remember this, that there were very few people in this building. You remember that, Sister Iva? Very, very few people. She and Dee, her husband, came over to McKinney one Sunday night and talked to us about doing some work in the church over here. Now, I didn't realize at the time, I didn't remember at the time, but the very first gospel meeting I ever held when I was 17 years old was when Terry Newell called me and said, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, nothing really. And he said, would you hold a meeting for me? I've had something come up and I can't do it. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. He said, great, it's in Denton, Texas. The first gospel meeting I ever held was in Denton, Texas back when I was 17 years old. Hadn't really been here since until Dee and Iva came over that time. Since then, that began our association really with the congregation here. And I'll tell you, over the last few years, it's had its upses, (laughs) it's had its ups and it's had its downs. And the congregation has grown and the congregation has had some great things happen and we've had some very difficult things happen in the congregation here. But five years ago, one of the things that we did as a congregation is we went through a process of ordaining eldership in the congregation here. We ordained Matt and Yancey to be elders in the congregation here. And one of the things we agreed to do is that we would revisit that process on a regular basis, the process of looking for future leadership. Now, as we get into this and talk about the leadership of the church, I want to ask you to think about something. The church at Rome, the letter of Paul to the church at Rome is what we call in our Bibles the book of Romans, right? Wonderful letter. Amazing letter. There was a letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Great letter, a lot of neat stuff. There was a letter of Paul to a church in Colossae. Wonderful letter. Do you know anything about those churches today? Do you know anything about them? There was a church in Jerusalem. The very first church was in Jerusalem. Do you know where they meet today? Any idea where that congregation meets? They don't. I mean, they're gone. 
I asked my dad about churches one time, and he said, you know, the reality is churches live and get strong when there's leadership, and when there's not leadership, churches wane and get weak because people follow leaders. We need leaders in the kingdom of God. And at some point, I don't know when, throughout the history of time, the church at Jerusalem was scattered, and ultimately there became a time when there wasn't enough leadership to maintain that congregation and it to continue to go. Now, when I think about the church here at Denton, and I think about its history since it was very first established way back in the 1960s, it's kind of done that, hasn't it? It's done that. And a lot of congregations do that. And I want you to know that one of the things that's very important to me and to the leadership of the church here is an idea of sustainability. I'm not just interested in there being a good, strong church while I'm here. I'm not just interested in that because I have kids and many of you have children. They may move off and live somewhere else, but they may live around here. And if they live around here, we want there to be a good, strong church in the future. So how do we do that? What do we do biblically to produce some sustainability for the church in the community of Denton, Texas? Well, let's look at a couple of things. The very first thing that we have to remember is that Jesus Christ is head of the church. Michael McCorkle is not head of this church. Yancey Jones is not head of this church. Matt Clark is not head of this church. And you aren't head of this church. Jesus Christ is head of His church. The Scriptures tell us this, that God, that's the He, put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body. Jesus Christ is the head over all things. That's one of the things that Eddie and I pointed out to these people we're studying with, is that I don't get the right to just go, well, I think a church ought to be like this and make the church that way. I mean, I can do that, but if I do, it's the church of Michael McCorkle, not the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we want the church of Christ. That's why we call it the church of Christ. A church that belongs to Him. That worships and honors and glorifies and follows Him. He's the head. That's the primary reason that we do the things that we do in this congregation. is because we believe that that's what we find in the Bible that God wants us to do. The Scriptures say there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ not only is the head of the church, but Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Now, if you go to a lot of churches, there may be a priest that stands between you and God. And if you want to have a relationship with God, you've got to go to that priest and get him to go to God on your behalf. But we don't find that true in Scripture. In Scripture, there's only one mediator between God and man. So ladies, your husband doesn't stand between you and God. Congregation, our elders are here to lead and guide and be accountable and oversee the flock. And we're going to talk about some of their jobs in a minute. But they don't stand between us and God. Now, they're my leaders or my elders just like they're yours. But they don't stand between you and God. Only Jesus Christ stands between us and God. Our relationship with God is based on Him, not on the leadership that exists in a congregation. 
Jesus is not just head of His church, He's head of this church because that's what we've decided we're going to follow. That's who we've decided we're going to follow. And anything that we find in this church that is contrary to what you find in your Bible, we need to change. And anything we find in the Bible that this church isn't doing, we need to change. We need to change that because Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. The Scriptures tell us that the elders who are among you, I exhort, shepherd the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now this says the job of the elders is to shepherd the flock. That's to take care of the church. Your soul is their responsibility. I know that's a heavy weight. It's a heavy burden. But God calls on them to do that. But He doesn't leave them alone in doing that. Because He says there is a chief shepherd... And Jesus Christ is that chief shepherd who really cares for the souls of this congregation. And although our elders may feel a weight of responsibility upon them, the real weight is carried by Jesus Christ because He is the chief shepherd of the church. Now, when we talk about a church, there's a passage that I know you're familiar with I want to look at just a little bit. It's in the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. And he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And in this first verse, we can see a description of the church there in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now he lists three groups of people there in this verse. And we're going to briefly talk about each one of those. To start with, he talks about saints. Did you know saints is not Christian's Hall of Fame? That's kind of the way the world looks at a saint, right? Are they going to Saint Mother Teresa? I don't know, maybe they've already done that. Uh, Saints in the Bible is not a Christian's Hall of Fame. Saints in the Bible specifically means those who have been set apart for God. That's a saint. It's someone who's been set apart for God. In fact, the Bible describes them like this. He says, all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, saints are those who in every place, no matter where they are in the world, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people are saints. Now when you get around here, you know who that is? That's you. That's the most recent picture I could find of our congregation. But that's you. That's you and I. And the Scriptures tell us that God's desire for saints is this, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, sanctified means made a saint or set apart, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. What saints do? In Ephesians chapter 4, he says the job of a saint is to do this, to do the work of the ministry and edify the body of Christ. Did you do any work of the ministry this week? Did you do anything this week to edify the body of Christ? You are a saint if you're a Christian. And you should have done something this week to edify the body of Christ and to do the work of the ministry. That's our job. Our job's not to hire a professional guy to do the work of the ministry. Our job as saints is the job of all saints 
to do the work of the ministry. It's the job of all saints to edify. That means build up the body of Christ. I hope you did some of that this week. There's another group of people he mentions in this passage, and that's the bishops. Now, bishop specifically, that word means this. A man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. That's a bishop. Seeing to it that people who do jobs do a good job at the job they're doing. Now, God described a bishop in the Bible. And his description of a bishop was this. A bishop is to be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, rules his own house well, not a novice, and of a good reputation of those that are without. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the qualifications for a man to be a bishop or an elder. And instead of calling these qualifications, I prefer to look at them as qualities because I believe that's more accurate. This isn't just a checklist if you go down there. You know, one of them's patient. How do you know if a guy's patient? I mean, how long ago did the last time that he lost his temper make him impatient? I mean, if when he was in college he was a hothead, does that mean he's not a patient guy? Now, I believe the idea here is, what's the man now? What kind of a man is he right now? Is he a patient man? Does he rule his own house well? Is he violent? Is he greedy? Or is he this kind of man right here? That's the question we should ask. And that's why we, after careful consideration, Bud Jones came in town and worked with us. We spent a lot of time, countless hours, with... Matt and Yancey and their, their wives and their families. And right there are the bishops of this congregation. That picture was taken the day you guys were ordained. What do they do? What's their responsibility? Well, their responsibility is to rule over you and we're to obey them and be submissive for they watch for our souls as those who must give account. Their job is to see to it that we're doing the work of the ministry and edifying the body of Christ. That's their job. That's what God called them to do. They're to lead. They're to guide in that. They're to be examples. They're to participate in the things that we do. And they are ones who are to watch for our souls. So you know what? If you miss church for three or four times and one of them gives you a phone call, guess what? They're doing their job. They're watching for your soul because they care about you. They care about your soul. And that's their responsibility in our congregation. The other group is a group called deacons. Now, deacons is a little bit, uh, a little bit ambiguous in Scripture. It's not as clearly defined as the rest of them. The word deacon specifically means one who serves or one who executes the commands of another. A deacon is somebody who has been ordained to serve. They've been chosen by the elders and the congregation as when there's a need and somebody we need to count on to take care of something, we trust this man, all of us trust this man, and he's going to have the authority necessary to do this job. And we can count on him to do that. 
Now, in Scripture, deacons are described like this. Reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, faithful with a pure conscience, tested, blameless, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Those are descriptions of the kind of man that needs to be a deacon. Now, in our congregation, the deacons are... We don't have any deacons right now. When we ordained elders back five years ago, we talked about ordaining deacons and we looked at the men who were here and available and were interested and the decision of the of myself and Bud Jones and the men involved in this was that we didn't at that time have anyone who met these qualities. And another decision we made was that this congregation wasn't familiar with eldership and leadership. And we needed time for them to settle in as elders and leaders. One of the things that's interesting to me about this is that the Scriptures don't give us a whole lot of of real descriptive explanation of the job of a deacon. When you read his qualities that we just looked at right here, that's very similar to the qualities of a bishop or an elder, isn't it? It's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. Some of the differences are that the elder or the bishop was supposed to be able to teach. And it doesn't say anything about a deacon having the ability to teach and being able to teach. He doesn't necessarily have to teach. But they're very similar. But there's not a verse that says the job of a deacon is this. The closest we have in Scripture is Acts chapter 6. And Acts chapter 6 describes the church in Jerusalem ordaining men, I believe, to be deacons. They were servants, and the word is the same. It says, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, this is the elders talking. What's happened is it's a big church like 3,000 people the first day and 5,000 people a few days later. It's a huge church. And they everybody's traveled from all over the world and they're all living here in Jerusalem. And when they become Christians, they don't go home. Everyone stays. And so there's a lot of people with no jobs and people are selling their property and their houses and they're raising money. And they're poor people that need fed. And so the church is taking care of feeding the members of the church. And there are a certain segment of members of the church who are being overlooked. And people come to the elders, the apostles, and say, hey, we've got a problem here. We Something's going on. These people are being overlooked and it's got to be taken care of. And their answer is, we don't have time to leave the Word of God and serve tables. Spiritual responsibilities of leading a flock are too much for us. So they said, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. That was their job. That was the deacons. And they chose seven men. And those men were ordained by the leaders. And those men were given a specific responsibility to see to it that the widows were taken care of. As a result of this passage, a lot of times you hear people say, well, the elders take care of the spiritual stuff and the deacons take care of the physical stuff. And you really don't find that sharp dichotomy in Scripture. What you find more consistently in Scripture is that the deacons were the assistants to the elders and they did whatever the elders needed someone to do. And when there was a need, they, these were men who were ordained and, and 
had the confidence of the congregation that the elders could call and say, hey, I need you to take care of this. And they could know that that would get done and be taken care of by somebody that the congregation had confidence in. And that's the picture that we find. So, putting all this together, we find Jesus Christ as head of the church. And then we find the church made up of saints, deacons, and elders. I put it like this because I was trying to figure out a way to show you in a diagram that the elders weren't above the rest of the church. It wasn't elders, deacons, and saints. But reality is that we're like an arrow and the elders are the the point on that arrow. They're the tip of the arrow. They lead wherever the congregation goes. But they don't stand above the congregation in relationship to Jesus Christ. He gave Himself or He Himself gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. So what you've got is you've got Christ, His church, His body. And in that, what you've got is you've got elders who oversee and give account for the things that are done in this congregation. You've got deacons who are men who are appointed to serve and to lead in that congregation. You've got saints who do the work of the ministry. And when you get all of this stuff, what you end up with is a body that grows and fulfills its mission. So you've got elders and you've got deacons and you've got saints and that gives you a body that grows and fulfills its mission and it ordains and supports and develops evangelists who set in order churches and start churches and ordain elders and you see the process just continues to go around and around and around and it's a very beautiful picture of how God has designed His church to work. One of the things that we find about this, the Bible says in Acts 14, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is something that was done in every church. Every one of them. For a long time, this congregation had no eldership. But we believe what God told us to do, and so we worked hard to develop men and to ordain eldership in this congregation because that's what God says should be done in every church. You see, God, the Bible says that God looks at leaders as a gift to the church. We just read this in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave, He Himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, evangelists. He gave those to the church as a gift for the leadership of the church. So, the picture we see in Scripture is we see the picture of a church where Jesus Christ gives us leaders. The leaders equip and oversee us. We do works of service. And the body grows and fulfills its mission. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you consider this a large church or a small church? Well... I would say it's a small church. More small today than it was last Sunday, right? Last Sunday we had about twice as many people here. It really depends on where you come from. If you come from a little congregation of six or eight people, it's a large church. They go, wow, look at all these people. If you come from a great big congregation of several hundred or several thousand people, you go, man, that's a tiny little group down there. Really... 
The issue is not how big a church is. I hear people all the time say, well, I like a small church, or I don't like little churches, I like a big church. You know, really, what matters is not how many people are in a church, how large it is. In fact, I've read not long ago that the average church size in the United States, you know what the average is if you average them all out? 35 members. That's the average church size in the United States. So compared to the average, we're a large church, right? But really what matters is not if we're a large church or a small church, but whether we're a healthy church or an unhealthy church. You know, there are big healthy churches and there are big unhealthy churches. And there are little healthy churches and there are little unhealthy churches. And what we want to be is the kind of church that's healthy, And whether that's large or small depends on so many variables and circumstances and where you are and the time in history you are and the leaders that are are given to a church in an area. But what our goal is and our drive as we move ahead is to have a church that's strong, a church that is healthy, a church that grows A church that fulfills the spiritual needs of the members in that church. Regardless of the size of that church. So, moving ahead. There are several things that I want to mention for us as we move ahead. Number one, our goal is sustainability. Our goal is to serve God faithfully in this generation, in this time while we are here, so faithfully that there is a sustainability of that effort beyond our lifetime. We just studied about Joshua. And you know, the most fascinating reference in the end of the book of Joshua, in the whole book to me, is where it says when Joshua died, all the people who served with Joshua... As long as any of them were alive, Israel stayed faithful to God. I mean, the influence of that man beyond his lifetime was tremendous. The influence that he had on those around him. And I want the influence of this congregation to be sustained. In 50 years from now, where will we be? Well, I can tell you a few things that won't be true. In 50 years, I will not still be an active evangelist here unless the Google guys are right and by 2029 we all live forever. (laughs) And I don't think that's going to happen. Matt and Yancey won't still be our elders here in 50 years probably. Probably. There's going to have to be somebody else step in and fill fill the gap. That's one of the reasons that we decided to have this ongoing process because building future leadership is a constant process. It's not something that just happens. We have the elders we have now because many years before, five years ago, there was a decision made that we need to have elders in this congregation. We need to work to develop that. And so that goal was set a long time ago. We need young men. We need... John and Laura's boys, my son. We need the young men to say, you know what, someday we need Kalen's boy back there in his lap. We need him to say, someday I'm going to be an evangelist or an elder or a deacon or a teacher in the church. That's what we need. We need that. We need young men to commit to that when they're very, very young. 
We need people to commit to that like people commit to uh, all-star ball, you know? Like people commit to someday I'm going to be in the NBA. We need somebody to commit while they're young. Someday I'm going to be ready and capable to lead. Well, we don't need to just wait for them. We got a lot of a lot of people in in the middle ages here. People who have young families. You got to think about this. You got to develop yourself and your abilities. You got to make yourself the kind of man that we read about. And we didn't even talk about the wives. There are in in First Timothy chapter three. There's a description of the wives of these guys. And their responsibilities and, and character qualities that the wives need to develop. And I want to tell you right now, there's no one in here who can't develop those qualities. But it takes work. It's not just going to happen. You're not going to hit the lottery and just one day wake up, somebody knock on your door and go, Hey, we've decided we need to appoint you Grand Poobah of the church. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is if you work hard now to develop those character qualities and your knowledge and your abilities in serving God and those around you. He said, He who desires the office of a bishop desires a good work. Do you desire that work? I hope you do. It's our desire, our goal to inspire younger people to desire those things. We decided on a five-year cycle of developing and replenishing. Now, the Bible doesn't give us directions on the specifics of how we go about it. It doesn't say every year you all need to redo this or every 20 years you all need to... The Bible just doesn't give us direction. It just says do it. And He leaves it to our wisdom to do that. One of the things that we decided, since this was a congregation without eldership, who wasn't used to having men who made these decisions and led and guided us, so we could learn to follow these guys, we were going to give it some time. And we've given it five years, but we don't want to give it too long. We want to consistently keep on the minds and hearts of our men and women in the church that there's a call, there's a need for leadership in the future. And so we agreed that every five years we're going to revisit this process. This process of bringing people into leadership for the future generation of the church. Today begins our next phase. That next phase is identifying and training future leaders. That's our goal here. You know, people move in, people move out, people grow up. People are converted. All those things come into play. And so we are looking, beginning today, for men who are willing to serve. Men who have a desire to serve God's kingdom in the capacity of a deacon or a bishop or an elder. Either in the near future or the far future. It doesn't have to be... You don't have to jump up and say, I'm ready to be a deacon today or I'm ready to be an elder today. No. But you have to start thinking about that today. As that develops, we are looking for those who desire the work of an evangelist, an elder, a deacon, or a teacher. Do you have any desire to serve the kingdom of God that way? I hope you do. I hope you do. You may not. Everyone everyone is not cut out to do that. Not everyone's an elder. Not everyone's an evangelist. Not everyone's a deacon. But everyone can serve and improve themselves 
in some way. If you are interested in this, and this would really be for the whole congregation, we want to ask you to begin today to pray about that. I want to ask you, when you make your prayer list, and I trust all of you pray, and you have some kind of list, something you remember, start praying to God for the future leaders of this church. Make that something that you pray about regularly. That you pray that God will provide leaders for this church. Those of you who have young children, especially young men, begin to talk to them about and train them Put in them the character qualities that will allow them to lead in the future. Young ladies, teach your daughters the things that will make them good and helpful and beneficial wives to men who will lead in the church in the future. And finally, if you have an interest in doing that, talk to me or Matt or Yancey. That's a goal that we've set. And sometime in the next week or two weeks or month or something... Call me aside and go, hey, I just want you to know that I have an interest in developing myself toward that. And then we will begin a process with you of working toward your abilities and development in that area. Our goal is the implementation of this will be in the year 2017, our next year. That gives us a few months to work with men who are expressing an interest and a desire to develop themselves that way. And our goal is sometime in the year of 2017 to have the evangelist, myself and someone else, do the same process that we did back five years ago and go through and look at the men of the congregation, see if anyone's developed to the point that they can help lead in this congregation. That's our goal. That's our desire. Now, the reality is we don't know yet what we'll find. We may go through the process and go, you know what, we're not quite there yet. There's some men who need to be developed to be there. That's great. That's a successful outcome. We may come out of it and go, hey, yeah, we've got more elders or we've got more deacons or we've got more men who can lead in various capacities. That would be wonderful. Whatever the result of that is. But my call to you as we conclude this and as we look into the future is to ask you to think about what you can do. What can you do to help. Now you may say, well, there's not a lot I can do other than pray. Then pray. Pray all the time for the future of this church. You may say, you know, I might could serve in, a, in one of these offices. Good. Then bring it up and say, hey, help me develop. You may be young and you may say, you know what? I know I'm too young or I know I'm not ready yet, but someday I want to be there. Will you help me start working toward that? And we'll help you start working toward that, even now. Whatever it is that you can do, that's what we're asking. So this morning, we're going to sing a song of invitation. But what I want to ask you to do, instead of asking you to come and ask for the prayers of the church, although we always offer that if if you feel like you need that today, what I want to ask you to do is think about how you can help in this process. Think about what you can do to make this process successful for the church and think about specifically, is there a way that you can participate in the future of this church and what that is and how you can begin to reach toward that. If there's any need, we do offer that invitation if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.